podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. It's a time to focus on Jesus, and it is a season to prepare us for Easter, which we'll celebrate in a couple weekends here. Um, Lent is 40 days long. There's a couple of Sundays mixed in there, too, but Lent is 40 days long, and perhaps that 40 days, it reminds us of Jesus in the wilderness when he fasted for 40 days. He fasted and prayed before he started his public ministry, and uh, it was there in the wilds where uh, Jesus was tempted. His appetite, his, his ambitions, his, his approval or, or attention was all attacked. He, he was tempted, or perhaps another angle that we could look at is he was tempted to misuse his power. And so we see early on in this Jesus story, in the wilderness, Jesus is the master of spiritual discernment. You know, he he doesn't grab for power. He stays humble. He stays humble. And so during the Lenten season here as a church, we were really focusing on, on Jesus. And we're contemplating his life, his ministry, his journey to the cross. And I believe... Uh, for those of us who, who are called to give something up for Lent, those who, who are called to fast and pray, or really exercise some special spiritual disciplines during this season, it's a humbling experience. It's a humbling experience as we reflect on Jesus' journey. So what exactly is humility? Humility, the, the characteristic of, of uh, being humble, it's, it's where you're free... Free of pride, free of arrogance and pretentious attitudes. Uh, you're, you're free from the lures of, of like the, the toxic power or um, just, uh, just um, toxic forms of, of authority, of use of authority. It's like you're free from all of that. You don't need it. You know, just as uh, the wilderness temptations attempted to do things like power and, and pride and arrogance and unhealthy ambitions. We, we all face these temptations and all of these things try to steer us off the humble path. But just talking and thinking about humility, that doesn't automatically make us humble. Historian John Dixon says humility stands alone among the virtues that as soon as you think you have it, you probably don't. We are sometimes the humblest people we know. And occasionally, sometimes we think being humble is about being super chill, super down to earth, although humble people can have those attributes. But OK, let's let's actually define it here. Um, I really like John Dixon's definition of humility. It is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. In other words, you give yourself away. You give your time away, your money away, your resources away. You freely give it away no matter what or who you are for the good of others before yourself. A quick example, um, when I was entering into the doctoral program, that is a very intimidating thing to, <laughs> to start. That is an intimidating journey. Uh, but early on in that process, uh, what they called like the, the on-ramp 
kind of thing, kind of gearing us up. Hey, this is what doctoral school looks like. The professors did something amazing. They approached everything with a humble attitude. Uh, they, they said, hey, yes, we're doctors. Some of us have multiple degrees. I mean, the president of the school has two bachelors, two masters, and two doctorates. But he says, hey, you don't need to call me Dr. So-and-so. You can just call me by my first name. And he's like, you know what? Yeah, we're professors and you're students. Clearly, we have our own roles to play. But this is what they said. They're like, we can still learn from you. There was such a posture of, of humility. They, they didn't rub their, their, their status or their degrees in our, our faces. Okay? We live in a world that, that is glory hungry. Many people want their 15 minutes of fame. They want their bragging rights. They want the red carpet. You know, we, we have that itch if, if we have accomplished something and, and like we want to take credit for it and we want everybody to know what we did. We have all seen selfishness on display. We, we know what pride looks like. Uh, we, we see it in others. We see it in ourselves too, both big and small versions of it, both internal and external uh, versions of, of that pride and Unhealthy ambition and, and selfishness. We've all faced the same temptations together. All of us here, like we know, like we have that itch, that, that pull to be prideful, to be selfish. Now jumping to the life of the church, I would argue that, that any church community that is low in humility, well, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And ultimately it's, Probably a dying church because pride kills. But the good news is the Bible gives us some wisdom. Yay. We get some wisdom today to teach us on humility. A long, long time ago, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter and he gave instructions to the congregation in Philippi. And he says this, imitate Jesus. Jesus is our paradigm for humility. For the life of the church, Jesus is the model of humility. He is our criteria. We, we want to process and think through the lens, the framework of, of Jesus. And so what can a Christian community do in order to check its pride and selfishness? How, how can we stay humble? Well, as we use Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 today, it's going to re reveal how the incarnation, the, the, the whole Jesus story, his, his life, his story, it's going to reveal and it's going to teach us today. And we get to use Jesus' story. We can use it and reuse it and keep returning to Jesus' story. And that is how we keep our, our pride in check. We want to visualize the Jesus story. And so we are in the, the book of Philippians, or rather it's a letter. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. It is a prison letter. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. That's a whole other backstory for another day. Uh, but he's writing this letter to encourage the church. Philippi is in northeastern Greece, and it's actually on the continent of Europe. And I believe it was the first European congregation. So that's cool to think about. Uh, some of us, all of us here, perhaps uh, are... Our Christian faith here in America most likely came from a European faith. Well, that European faith most likely, if we kept 
following the, the link of faith all the way back in time, maybe all of us are connected to a Christian in Philippi. Maybe. I don't know. It's cool to think about. Philippi is a prosperous city, but again, um, Paul, he, he is writing to encourage the, the church, uh, but in this letter, he has this, this little lesson, and, and he points us to Jesus, and, and we can learn, learn from Paul today. And so as we consider church humility, our first point is this. Jesus is the church's model for humility. Paul writes in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The church assembly, we are inherently relational. We are to live out the life of Christ in community. And one of the ways that we get to do this is we all want to strive to have the same mindset as Jesus. And I would say this is why we gather on Sunday mornings and and other times throughout the week. This is why we have small groups and why we meet up for coffee and we talk about life. And and this is why we promote Bible reading and devotional plans and we sing songs and and we go on prayer walks and all of these things. It's so that we can drink from the wells of Jesus And so that in community, we can find alignment with how Jesus thinks. We want to empty out the old, and we want to fill up with the new mind. Not all of us think right (laughs) sometimes, and we need each other. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Am I thinking right? When you have another person there to check your thoughts and help you know, weigh and balance some things out. That is so needed. And we get to do that as a church because we want to have the same mindset as Jesus. God seems to put this high view on mindset, on on attitude here. And he points us to Jesus. We can adopt Jesus's mindset. We can live with his attitude in our hearts in our heads. And, and it might be really challenging on, on some days, but I believe this is the call that the more that we apply our minds and our hearts to Jesus and his word, I truly believe our minds will shift. I think it's okay to study other people in history. You know, if you have like a, a favorite person in the past, I don't know, Ben Franklin, it's okay to learn about Ben Franklin, but I promise you, You will not find a greater thinker, a more humble, greater thinker than Jesus. Jesus' attitude was just awesome. He was humble. And he is our model for humility. Now, Paul, in order to strengthen this, okay, he says, be like Jesus. But then in order to strengthen this, he gives us a poem. Paul points to the incarnation. God becomes human. That's what that means. And he gives us this poem about Jesus. And so now we're going to check out verses 6 through 11 here. Some scholars think this is actually an old song, a hymn that the early church sang. Others think Paul was just being poetic. This was his artsy way to to get uh, you know the, the story across, but this poem is about Jesus, his birth, his loving life of service, his humiliating death, his resurrection and ascension. And I just want you to see here 
the, the central point of this poem is Jesus' death on the cross. Christmas is great. Resurrection is awesome and super needed. But it is the cross. It's, it's on the cross where forgiveness and healing become a reality. Where salvation, atonement is made. So Jesus is our model for humility. So now let's take a look at this Jesus story. Let's walk through this poem. What can Jesus teach us about humility? What can his life teach us about humility? And so first, what we'll see here is that Jesus didn't need status. The poem begins, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage? Jesus' state of mind was this. Okay, he is deity. Jesus is divine. But he didn't need that status. He didn't need to cling onto uh, the, the equality with God the Father. He didn't need to think of himself as having the title of God in order to, to do what he needed to do. He didn't need that status to serve, to teach to love, to heal. Jumping to us, this, this means, I believe this means that we too can be free of status. We can do what Jesus calls us to do. We can be who Jesus calls us to be. And we don't need a special status. Second point here, Jesus sets aside privileges. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus' state of, of being was, was like this. Yes, 100% God, 100% man. But there is this, this language here. He, he emptied himself. He, he poured himself out. He set aside the privileges of being God and he served others. He had a physical body, and it's not like he, he put on a special cloak or a cape and became something different. He was 100% human, and he actually, actually, actually just took the role, he took on the role of being a servant. Jumping to us again, I, I think this means we can give things up for the sake of others too. We don't need to gain more status. We don't need to gain more wealth. We don't need to gain more privileges in order to serve others. We already have everything we need in order to serve others. We have ourselves. And I think the key is sometimes is for us to get out of our own way so that we can just be free to love and support and serve others around us. Sometimes I am my own worst enemy. Maybe you can relate to that. I bet you can. What if we get out of our own way and just, just serve and love others, right? Third point here. Jesus is selfless and he is obedient. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Again, this is the central point of the poem here. Jesus is not a self-centered Jesus. He lived a selfless life. And notice he lived in obedience here. 
It was the type of obedience that even led to this obedient death. But it wasn't just any kind of death. It was the horrendous, the, the worst kind of death there is. Like, like this is uh, humanity at its worst. Look at what we created, a torturing device called the cross, death by crucifixion. It is designed to torture, to bring shame and humiliation to the victim. Right that now, like this also this moment here, the cross, and again, you know we're preparing for Easter and, and all of that, so this is all important the The cross is where we really see who God is. Think about your Old Testament here, the, the God of old, the creator, the one who redeems Israel, the giver of the law, God who is royal, God who is king. All, you know, all honor and glory goes to God, that this is our God at the lowest point ever on the cross. The cross reveals who God is, what God was willing to do. For us, First Corinthians one twenty three says, "This is why it's a stumbling block, stumbling block for the Jews, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Because what kind of God would do this? What kind of Messiah is this? The one who gets crushed by Rome? This doesn't make any sense. But this is our God. This is our Jesus." He went to the cross. He was obedient. He went to the cross. And so as we consider Jesus as our model of humility, the key here is obedience. And I think there is a strong connection between the humble church and the obedient church. The obedient church empties herself out. She strips away any agenda that is there that doesn't need to be there. We get rid of it. We dump any garbage that we have. And we're called to examine ourselves and perhaps this is why church history has given us lent because they're like you know you're all going to mess this up we need to <laughs> we need to keep remembering this story we need to keep examining ourselves let's do this every year let's keep remembering the story let's keep remembering the cross and the empty tomb we keep examining ourselves we keep checking for half-heartedness any attitudes that hinder obedience, they got to go. Any pride that builds up the kingdom of man needs to go because we want to focus on the kingdom of God. And we can live in awe of this great humbling and, and, and this obedience of Jesus. He didn't need status. He didn't need privilege. And he was super obedient. And I think a prayer request for all of us is, God, I want the desire to desire obedience. After Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus is kind of done at that point, so to speak. God the Father takes over. Verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And so this is our fourth point. Jesus is exalted. He is exalted by God the Father. Jesus' obedience was pure. And because of that obedience, God the Father raised him up. And now, now God the Father is going to bring just off the charts honor to Jesus. 
He's like, this is my boy. This is my son. I love him. I am well pleased with him. He died for the sins of the world. He had made, he's made atonement. His obedience was pure. His sacrifice was pure. It was enough. I'm raising him up to new life. Resurrection is a thing in history. The Christmas angels were, were right. This is Jesus, the one who will save the people from their sins. He is Savior. He is Christ Lord, the Messiah. Jesus is exalted by God the Father. Jesus is also exalted through worship. That, every, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Simply put, I just think this means all angels, the demons, everyone on earth, everyone who has died, will bow before Jesus. Bowing is a recognition of respect and authority. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is exalted through confession. This total acknowledgement here, total praise to Jesus. The world might say Caesar is Lord now, but through the winding path of history, it eventually leads to this massive church service. Everybody is bowing down, worshiping Jesus. And this is the end of the poem here. Jesus' story. Jesus is our model for humility. And I want you to, to visualize his story. His story of incarnation, redemption, exaltation. God becomes human. Jesus loves. Jesus serves. He is humble. He is obedient. He goes all the way to the humiliating death on the cross crucifixion. He's buried, but God raises him up and God brings him all the glory and exaltation ever. And the summary so far is this. I want to borrow from the late theologian Grant Osborne. He says, be like Jesus, seek humility and leave the glory to God. Be like Jesus, seek humility and leave the glory to to God. This the the church is called into this life of deep Jesus humility. And leave the glory, the reward to God. Now, if you haven't thought about it yet already, I mean, how do we actually teach humility? And so this is where I think Paul is a genius for giving us a poem here. He gives us a story to visualize. Okay, we don't adopt Jesus' humility. We don't become Jesus humble by simply learning doctrine. Because guess what? There are plenty of people, plenty of prideful people who know tons of doctrine. Okay, instead, this is the offer. Enter, be a part of, be immersed, enter, and remember the Jesus story. This is what we use and reuse and keep returning to, to keep our pride in check when we visualize what Jesus did for us. And so Paul, as he's writing to the congregation in Philippi, he says this, if you have any encouragement, yeah, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Again, Jesus is our model for humility. But he's not just a model. He's not just an example. And his story isn't just something that we use to learn about humility. It actually gets better. And the secret is this. Jesus is our life. Again, church is relational. We are connected to Jesus. We are connected to each other. And I want you to realize, church, that we can find unity in Jesus. That we can find comfort in Jesus and love in Jesus. We can be the spirit community that Jesus calls us to be. And for Paul, he's like, man, if the congregation, if, if the church can realize that, that that's like, my joy is going to be off the charts. Like, my joy will be complete. And I think if we realize that too, any church realizes that too, our joy can be complete as well. And so let this Jesus example of humility, let it encourage you to be like-minded, to keep seeking out the mind of Christ, to, to, to love one another, to, to be united in spirit and purpose. Now finally, how do we actually live this out? We, we have to have some sort of tangible instruction. Humility is a hard thing to teach on, to, to grasp. It's very experiential. It's just, it's just, how do we actually do this? Well, I'm going to just let Paul bring us to our final instruction here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And I'm actually, I'm going to choose not to expand on that. I just want to read through this again. Let this sink in. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of So in the wilderness, we meet a Jesus who doesn't misuse power. He, he doesn't have selfish purposes. Jesus wasn't prideful. But then we also look at his entire life and, and ultimately his, his death too. And he is the one we want to imitate. Jesus is our model for humility. He doesn't need status. He doesn't need special privileges. He just emptied himself out. He got out of his own way. He just, he was obedient. He loved, he served, he taught, he healed. He wasn't concerned about being famous. He wasn't concerned about the glory or the exaltation. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be like Jesus. Be like-minded. Love one another. United in spirit and purpose. And so now, church, we get to acknowledge that, yes, Jesus is our example to follow. Let's continue to remember his story. And let's know that we are a part of his story. We are his church. And that is 
humbly.